Cosmic Humograph. Melissa is this amazing dog trainer, podcaster, and author in Somerville, Massachusetts. I train humans so their dogs are happy and well-behaved. And I'm Sip Sipperstein. Sip is a dragon veterinarian in Oakland, California. Yep, I'm a doctor for bearded dragons and bunnies and birds and other critters. And you've just landed in Totally Possum. An animal podcast for adults. Each episode, Sip and I will use our combined expertise to share amazing animal stories, give you an inside peek into our professions, go deep-ish into animals in the news, and maybe even reveal some tips that you will be glad to know if you have pets at home. A stew of the practical and the just plain silly. It's a Zootopia party, and we're determined to have some fun. We are not going to watch our language. We're letting our hair down. You just don't know what we might say, so cover your children's ears. You've been bored. Unless your kids are cold with massive piles of kinky cicada sex, magical raccoon dog testicles, and occasional swearing. It's your call, folks. If you listen to our last episode, you know that Melissa is up in very snowy Maine. Yep. And I am currently in very balmy Puerto Rico. And I sent Melissa this recording of what we hear many nights, but this was particularly dramatic, of a sudden rainstorm followed by the chorus of enthusiastic frogs. And I can play it right now so everyone can hear it. God, that was amazing. Look at those frogs all being froggy and froggy and just singing their love songs. I wonder how many of them have like unrequited love songs. <gasps> unrequited love songs. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Puerto Rico frog is the Koki, which is this adorable little frog. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could throw in a link. Um, Ooh. Uh, on the on the um, show notes, the little picture of the Koki. And the Koki's really cute because it actually goes, Koki? 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 I feel like I mostly only hear those like in the summer when we're here. Um, and then otherwise, like this time of year in, in January, we hear what you heard in the recording. But um, they're really charming. It's a lovely yeah. sound to have at night. Oh, and, and in the animal reference department... <laughs> I arrived here and um, there was someone sharing the bathroom with me and my husband. Nope. And being the I'm really good friend that I am. I'm going to take my headphones off for this part because somebody sent me a picture of this. <laughs> and let's just say I had the bad judgment to send Melissa a picture. She has literally taken her head ho- headphones off for this. Sent Melissa a picture of this huge spider that was visiting us every every day and every night in our bathroom, having totally forgotten that Melissa is terrified of spiders. Uh, and I, yeah, so her husband asked her, uh, said, if I sent you that picture, you would divorce me. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, Melissa, I totally forgot. So, okay, it, I'm going to signal Melissa it's safe to come back. Oh. We are done talking okay, about flailing. the subject. I see flailing, so we're good. Flailing? <laughs> it was welcoming. It was a flailing. It was a welcome it was so back funny gesture that I, saw... I have completed the subject. I did a series of two texts. 
the second text. So I didn't know that there were two. I just get like the preview of the last text that Zip sent. And it said something to the effect of her husband. And I'm like, oh. And so I clicked in to make sure everybody was okay. And it started the text thread at the last, the first unread text. It was this giant photo. (laughs) (laughs) Of a spider and I audibly screamed going, of, of, he, of she who shall not be named <laughs> bad friend no biscuit that's that's like, that's my sentence and then i read going bad friend no biscuit sip didn't doug had this little friend and he was unpleased or something i i, I blocked out what happened what had actually been written because i was also well you just I blacked just out, out. Um, yeah. and then brian my husband looked at it and goes I thought you guys were friends. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that was so mean. I said the part while you had your headphones off about him saying, if I did that, you would divorce me. Correct. Well, that's, that's so I'm lucky that Melissa is even still doing the podcast with me because I committed the crime of all crimes unwittingly. Uh, I'm sorry, that Melissa. Was, I'm just looking at it going, I can't, I don't know what, I don't, uh. <laughs> yeah. Mea culpa. Ay, ay, ay. So shall we make a podcast? <laughs> Let's make a podcast. Melissa. More than 2.8 million antibiotic-resistance infections occur in the U.S. each year. Don't like that. More than 35,000 people die as a result of antibiotic-resistant infections. Okay. (laughs) Does this get funny or am I going to be sad? (laughs) And, of course, antibiotic-resistant infections affect human health, but also veterinary medicine. So my patients... And the agricultural industry, we need antibiotics to work, not just for random infections we might get due to being immune suppressed, say, from other medications or, let's say, excess stress can suppress our immune system or from other illnesses. But also, say, you have surgery, you have knee surgery. Generally, people are going to end up on antibiotics. And if our antibiotics won't work against infections, we're in big trouble. Okay. You probably also heard of methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or MRSA, infection. Oh, I'm glad you followed it with MRSA, because if you had just left it at that, I'd be like, yeah, that's our dinner conversation. (laughs) I'm glad that you followed (laughs) it up with MRSA, (laughs) because that I have heard of. Okay. So that is a type of staph infection that's gotten resistant to a lot of the antibiotics that we normally or in the past would use for staph infections. So mm-hmm. most of these you know, happen in people who are in hospitals or, or healthcare settings. So sort of a special name for that or it's called healthcare associated MRSA or HA MRSA. This can also happen in healthy people. Circumstances like high school wrestlers, childcare workers, people who live in crowded conditions, basically people with a lot of skin to skin contact. Oh. Could get MRSA. 
Right. So it doesn't just have to be, I was already really sick, and then I was in the hospital, and I got a MRSA infection. Jesus Christ. So in veterinary medicine, in my world, as well as, of course, in human health. When you're wrestling pigs, you're at higher risk of MRSA. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) We started adopting terms antimicrobial stewardship and judicious use of antibiotics, okay? For example, for a long, long time... Farm animals would have antibiotics just in their feed to prevent infections and, say, increase growth, help them grow faster. Can you see the problem here, Melissa? I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. (laughs) I mean, I've I've definitely heard about this with, like, cows that, especially in children's health, like, if they're eating a lot of meat, that they're getting antibiotics from the food that they're eating as a byproduct. And so, like, they have more antibiotics in their system as kids had they just taken antibiotics. (laughs) Right. So that's one potential is whether the antibiotics can end up in the milk, in the meat, in the eggs. And and some may not be able to, but some may. But then there's also the antibiotic resistance that it can occur in those cattle that you used right. in your example. And then how does could that get spread to farm workers who then spread it, you know, so absolutely. So spot on. Now, a lot of countries uh, in more recent years uh, have been putting into place or in the process of putting into place changes in how we in veterinary medicine use antibiotics to help avoid new resistances. Or we may be given guidelines to follow okay. for best practices. So there might be laws, but, but you know, there also may be, hey, listen, as a profession, we really ought to, and then it's up to the vet whether they follow that or not. Okay. So, you know, things like whenever possible, get a culture of the infection that you suspect before starting antibiotics. Now, this isn't always possible with some of my patients. Like, I might have a very sick parrot, and if okay. I wait for a week to get a culture back before I do anything, my patient may be dead. So there are situations where that's That seems like a bad plan. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The good news is that your parrot will be cured with antibiotics. The bad news is (laughs) it's been a week and it's dead. Right. But the general idea in this thinking is don't choose the coolest, bestest, newest antibiotic, save it for when you really need it. And in Europe, in the UK, some antibiotics are regulated as only if you can show that nothing else will work. So you you can get a big doo-doo with your license if you choose one of the big guns and one of these is enrofloxacin or Batrol, which is used quite a bit in the US. So where am I going with this? Because this is really about the animals Great question. and cool <laughs> things. An article came out in Nature at the beginning of January. A veterinarian okay. at Staten Serum Institute in Copenhagen named Jesper Larsen reported that a fungus that produces natural antibiotics may have created an environment for drug resistance to evolve in the bacteria. We're talking about going back... 100, 200 years were predating our use of antibiotics, that there was probably such thing in nature as antibiotic resistance, living on little hedgehogs. Uh-oh. Okay. So, but it's, oh, oh, but it's also, whoa, cool, because, so here's what happened. We're all going to die. That's what I'm getting <laughs> no. <at. laughs> no. Hang in there, sister. Okay. 
what they found was this very specific type of MRSA, that methicillin-resistant Staph aureus infection, right? Very specific type that they focused on. It causes a small fraction of the MRSA that you might see in people. So it's sort of a, huh, interesting. And so then there was this um, researcher named Sophie Rasmussen who was... um, who basically looked at a whole bunch of frozen dead hedgehogs that were in a collection, she discovered <laughs> that like 61% of these frozen dead hedgehogs, they could identify MRSA on them. Oh my God. Wait, so she just had like MRSA on a hedgehog. So then they start, and we're talking about wild hedgehogs. It's like in the US, we keep them as pets. And that's the African pygmy hedgehog. They're looking at the wild hedgehogs that um, they see in their gardens and and so forth. Oh, right. Like hedgehogs are actual wild animals in other places. Again, like I keep forgetting most of our domestic pets here in the States are actual animals in other places. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So and in fact, the, the European hedgehog is it looks you know, fairly different once you know your hedgehogs. They look pretty different from the ones we keep as pets in the U.S. But they looked at hedgehogs in 10 different European countries as well as in New Zealand and workers at wildlife rescue centers. They did swabs of various, like the skin, the nose, whatever, all over. And they were able to identify MRSA in those live hedgehogs as well. So they analyzed these samples. And what they determined was some of the oldest lineages of this MRSA on our current hedgehogs goes back to like as much as 200 years ago in hedgehog populations and that they may periodically infect people and and cattle but like way before we ever had our first you know legit antibiotic penicillin which we Mm -hmm. developed in the 1940s what the deal is, is that hedgehogs have this type of ringworm that we can get that li- can live on their skin. The hits keep getting better and better. No, no. But that <laughs> ringworm is not a worm. It's a fungal infection. And that fungal infection was basically growing antibiotics. What? And then wait. on the skin. What? Yes. Like, wait a sec. Ringworm, the zoonotic disease that like... That it's not great if you get it. It sucks, and you have it's to a skin fungal infection. Yeah, and you have to treat it, and it can be a real bugger, and it can be hard to get rid of. Yeah, but that can grow antibiotics. Yes, because penicillin grew out of a fungus, so it's just another fungus among us. Okay, so I. <laughs> feel like we should not that this will be our audience. I don't think we're going to get a lot of QAnoners listening to us. But <laughs> in the event that Joe Rogan, you're listening, please do not yes. prescribe your your listenership. Go and contract ringworm to like <laughs> as a medical device for saving like for yeah the ringworm is not medicine right now please it's not a COVID. first they recommended ivermectin then they said oh, go rub God. ringworm a hedgehog all over your skin and give yourself ringworm along with the horrible scratches from the prickly bristles on the, all over them Oh, my God. Like, the the newest one is, like, drinking their own urine, and I'm just thinking that they're yes. just trolling them at this point. So, like, getting ringworm yeah. feels like it would be, like, the next thing. Ooh, let's see if we can get them to do this. <laughs> like, Yeah. 
So if we trace back, way, way back, there were hedgehogs that naturally had a fungal infection on their skin. That fungal infection grew an antibiotic and bacteria that lived mm -hmm. on them, some of that bacteria adapted to be resistant to that antibiotic so it could keep living on the hedgehog, thus naturally occurring antibiotic resistance. So yes, people are dumb and we do things dumbly and we, <laughs> we overused antibiotics and, and dug ourselves our own holes that we're trying to dig ourselves out of. But here's a very cool case of nature kind of just doing its own thing, creating its own antibiotic, and then naturally producing some antibiotic resistance. But again, infections that affect a very, very small percent of the human population. So I just thought it was a very cool story about hedgehogs and the evolution of organisms that live on hedgehogs. And as you know, I'm kind of a fan of hedgehogs, so I like me a good hedgehog story. All I'm taking from this entire conversation is hedgehogs are a walking Petri dish. Don't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That, too. I'm kind of feeling like I'm not sure if I'm getting the takeaway that you wanted me to from this. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I think we can also distinguish, like, Every single hedgehog being riddled with horrible diseases that people can get and that they are not evil. They eat bugs out of the garden. They're very like gentle creatures that a lot of people like having in their gardens if you live in Europe or the UK. They're adorable. You know what? Don't rub them all over yourself. Don't lick them. <laughs> Unless you're listening to Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. However, if you drink their urine, you will never get sick ever. <laughs> you know, these people squeezing hedgehogs trying to get urine. So sit back, relax, and let me tell you about Iceland's gift to the world, a museum that got up while everyone was watching. And while it might be hard to get to, it's the only series of unsolicited dick pics that I'm down with. Sip. Let's go to the Penis Museum in Iceland. <laughs> like, Whoa, shall we? Let's, let's go. Have you heard of this let's place? Let's go. No. Wait, you have not heard of the Penis Museum? No, and I've been to Iceland. <laughs> I feel, I feel oh. like, I, I feel, I feel kind of ripped off. I mean, all I did was go on Icelandic, Icelandic horse ride and see the and see the geysers <laughs> and and paddle gently in the I've in got the some blue, other geysers to tell lagoon. you about. <laughs> uh, oh boy. I count on you, Melissa. Uh, I I will not let you down. <laughs> so this does kind of feel like a little bit of a cheat, but I was listening uh to Varmints where Paul was suggesting <laughs> he said the words the tapir body is basically a clown car for its penis. It's huge. And some people may not have understood your your pronunciation. So tape, tapir, tapir. So, taper. okay. So you can say it All both ways, tapir or taper. And yes. I've always said it's tapir. They are both correct. But like yeah. you could also yep. call it taper, which is yes. 
what their penis does at the end. So it's, it's really big. <laughs> Years ago, I before I went to vet school, I volunteered at a zoo. And one day I did see the taper out grazing. And as he became more and more relaxed, <laughs> this like periscope came out toward the ground. And so it's just sort of there. But then it starts periscope. Tap, tapping around, like tapping the ground, like kind of like someone you know, tapping around with a cane, trying to feel for something. <laughs> but he's just grazing on one end and tapping like, the other. Like a blind person? Like trying to find yeah, your way? Yeah, kind, of like, kind of like that, except it just seemed to have a mind of its own. The tip of his penis, of its unbelievably long penis. And these are not tiny animals. <laughs> these are big animals. And they're high off the ground and so for the penis to extend all that far and then start tapping around let's say it left an impression on (laughs) on me and on the dirt below (laughs) see i thought tapirs were like 40 pounds like the size of captain but they're like really really big they're hundreds of pounds Mm -hmm. so the tapir can scratch himself or maybe even a buddy with this thing and in the words of national (laughs) geographic you know pinnacle of of scientific reporting they call their prehensile penis quote ungainly (laughs) 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 ungainly i like that Uh, that's good so apparently it's nightmare fuel but that got me to thinking about this infamous uh phallicological museum in Iceland. So girls trip when this is over. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm in. Like, let's go. Road trip. Iceland. The website is phallus.is because of course it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Because I guess giant dong.me was already taken. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. pornography. You have to you have to get you have to take what's left. <laughs> right. So phallus.is. So the website has a gallery information and quote honorary members, which I'm not sure if these are donors of money or donors of uh, objects. Honorary members. <laughs> but honorary members. Is it translate the same way in Icelandic? I just that's <laughs> so good. That I know. is so it so definitely good. is self-aware. So I get like in searching for this, uh, there's a documentary on Hulu. And if you search for it, the advertisement is stream the final member on Hulu with a free trial. <laughs> so I thought this was a newer documentary, but it's also there was a surprising review by the late great Roger Ebert. So it's been out for a while. Oh, yeah. And it's called legit the final member it's a semi-serious sorry (laughs) it's oh my god i am a 12 year old boy it is a semi-serious documentary about the icelandic uh phallicological museum this is a quote from roger ebert the final member a semi-serious documentary about the icelandic phallicological museum aka that weird penis museum you've probably heard about but never been to (laughs) That was from Roger Ebert. (laughs) Nice. He gave it one star. I could not see how many thumbs or otherwise he had up. 
But yeah. it looks like the tone of the movie, at least according to Ebert, was that the creators treated it kind of halfway like a Christopher Guest film. So they were trying to make fun of it, but they were also trying to humanize and make it a real documentary. So tonally it was weird. And basically before we said stay in your lane or pick a lane, Ebert wanted these documentarians to just pick a lane. Like either make fun of this thing or be realistic about it. Don't split the diff. And that is apparently what happened in this film. I, I didn't see it, but we... Melissa, yes. I think you and I should watch this movie together separately. I think we should pick a night and <laughs> accounting I, for the time difference. We should have some parallel play watching a movie watch about this movie together. the Dick Museum. Sounds great. <laughs> we obviously can't watch it on Zoom together because our Zoom sucks right now. But yes, we should watch yeah, it. Right. I have Hulu, so I can watch it. Yeah. So going back to the museum, there are... 282 specimens from 93 different species of animals, mostly mammal, though they did say they had some crabs in there, and and they meant the penis, not the STD, I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so the exhibits, the smallest is a hamster bone. So it turns out most mammals, with the exception of hyenas and humans, have a penile bone. So hyenas have a matriarchy. So the bone that is used in other animals to rather like keep her there isn't going to help out the male hyena at all. So they just left with the the bone. (laughs) Um, And hyena business is also kind of unusual. Yeah, they dispensed with it. The females have a clitoris that is so elongated that researchers from a distance when they're looking through binoculars cannot actually tell the difference between a male and a female hyena because their their clitoris is so long it looks like a penis. They can't tell the difference until a baby is popping out of it, which, uh, fun fact, (laughs) buried the lead, hyenas have babies that come out of their clitoris. So happy thinking. Um, (laughs) That is terrifying. I'm not going to yuck the hyenas. Yum. You get it, hyena. Not my idea of a good time, but whatever. Okay. But the largest penis is uh, the whale penis, obviously, the blue whale penis. And it seems like the exhibits range from whale penis in a jar to whale penis on wood, as it were, to whale penis a la mode. There's a lot of whale penises. <laughs> so many whale penises. Um, I need... I, I need information about the a la mode. I have, as Melissa would say, I have questions. I have questions. They have a, a, a foodery. <laughs> no, I don't think they're actually serving penises. That was just like a really bad joke on my okay. part. <laughs> Got it. But they do have like a chicuterie board and the handle of the board is a massive schlong. So when we go to this exhibit and, and this, this yes. museum... Bring cheese and slice meats. We're going to have, well, we're both vegetarian. Probably yes. a good thing in this case. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have the vegan tapir dong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like a jello mold. It probably looked like, I'm guessing the gift shop is a real hoot. <laughs> oh my God. The postcards alone. <laughs> Can we write this off for the show and go to Iceland? Oh, totally. We Yeah, we're writing off the trip. There is no question. Yes. For the 
huge amount of money we are losing on making this podcast. So the exhibits range, like I said, from like all these penises, lots of penises in a jar, whale penises. It seems like whales are their bread and butter. There are lampshades made out of taxidermied animal phalluses (laughs) and a purse, which I hope they have in the gift shop. A purse. Which animal would the purse be made? I would guess an alligator penis. Um. I didn't look. I do have some of the um, the exhibits listed. Many yeah. of the exhibits are described as, quote, informalin, which I think is like um, like formaldehyde or like in a jar with... What you preserve tissues with, yes. Okay, so informalin, which makes sense. Many are mounted on wooden plaques. Okay, museum, makes sense. Also, good joke with the wood. Yeah, it's like mounting fish, right? It's like... On the wall. <laughs> so here are just some of the exhibits from their website. Three horse penises flavored with salt, sage, thyme, dill, nutmeg, rosemary, oregano, and marjoram. April 2006. <laughs> so hard pass. You would need all those flavors in order to actually make it palatable. Also, the fact that it was in 2006, I wouldn't eat it anyway unless it was a Twinkie. Yeah. So under rams, skin made into a purse. So that answers the which animal was a purse. Ram scrotum. Uh, lampshades made from scrotum skin. A lampshade made from 10 scrotum skins because yeah. someone got into a, a dick measuring contest. It was like, I see your one scrotum skin and I raise you 10. A flagpole made out of dried bull penis. And most yeah. unsettling, teacher's pointers with a question mark made out of dried bull penises. <laughs> Right. Do not bring those to school. That is not for children. (laughs) Just like our podcast, not for children. Not for children. So apparently the founder of this museum, like when he was younger, much younger, got a dried bull penis, which most people look at and go, wow, how do you get that? Where I'm looking at it as a dog trainer going, sheesh, who hasn't, right? Like, (laughs) If you've ever yeah, given right. a bully stick to your dog, that is a bull penis. This is very yes, common. Yes, a bully stick dog chew is a bull penis. Yes. We're here to tell you. Which I had a student once, um, and, and usually when I, I give puppy classes, I have all these demonstrative uh, tools. So I'll have like harnesses and chew toys for dogs and puppies. And I usually try to cater my language depending on who's in the classroom. And this woman had brought her maybe six or eight-year-old daughter with her to school, uh, to class. And so I hold up the harness. I'm like, who knows what this is? And most of the dogs had it on. I'm like, great. And who knows what this is? And I show them a con toy and they all knew what it was. And I held up a, a bully stick. I'm like, who knows what this is? And I usually say it's a bull penis. But I'm not sure, like, how comfortable this woman is with that terminology with her child. Yeah. It's not my kid. Yeah. So I held it up and the the giggles from the people who knew what it was, yeah. which is pretty predictable. That happens in every class. Yeah. So I hold it up. Who knows what this is? Giggling from stage left. Confusion stage right. <laughs> like, right. Like, this is a tendon found in a bull and not a cow. And I kind of look and everybody's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And they kind of laugh and they get it. Cool. We move on. Minutes later, the woman just starts hysterically laughing. And I'm like, what? Is everything okay? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, I just got it. That's a bull penis. And her daughter mm-hmm. just looks up and is like, a what? And that it was almost like she just realized her kid was there. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and I was like, and you could just see her go like instantly red. <laughs> like, how did, they, yeah, right. mommy, how did they get the bull penis? How did, like, why is that here? Why is my dog eating this? I'm like, ah, oh, good luck to you on the ride home. Um, so class <laughs> dismissed. And you know what? Oh, look at the time. I got to go wash my hair. So anyway, he just, he got this bull penis and then decided to just start a collection of penises. And his wife reportedly said, he just kept bringing penises home. <laughs> which... <laughs> So his son-in-law, I guess, is now the manager of this uh, museum. And he jokes that he, like, married in to this. Like, he he has his degree in, like, biology and teaching and something about religion. I was listening to a podcast and walking the dog, so I didn't take great notes or any <laughs> notes. But can you imagine, like, you're talking shop with your father-in-law about penises. <laughs> like, yes. It's the penis dynasty. Right. You cannot divorce your partner because, like, any other Thanksgiving dinner is going to seem real tame after that or super awkward. If you have Thanksgiving with another household, pass the turkey. And did you know that a turkey penis is actually invisible eight months of the year or something? I have no idea. I didn't actually. I'm not a poultry penisologist. (laughs) Penisologist. I, I mean, Doug feels like it's bad enough. You know that I'm a veterinarian and and long ago started kicking me under the table when my topic went beyond appropriate (laughs) dinner table conversation with people not in the field because you'll start to lose your bearings after a while and you think everything's okay to talk about while you're stuffing your face. And I know your husband, he has a pretty high bar. So if he's kicking you, that's pretty bad. Oh, yeah. No. He's like, no, not in front of these people. Kick, kick. Not in front of these people. Now, when it's all my vet friends or you, then all bets are off. He has to give up. Yeah, he just just retire the shoes. So I thought I would just give this a fitting ending, hopefully a happy one, about unusual animal genitalia. So we've covered quite a few already, like possums. Like in our very first episode, we discussed how early naturalists thought the double-pronged forked penis was to sex lady possums up through the nostrils, which yes. turns out not true. Lady possums just have two vaginal tracts, so very much like a plug on the end of your electronic devices. Just plug it in and recharge. <laughs> but um, not in the front. In the back, please. Party well, in the back. The um, <laughs> <laughs> so to, to get a little extra, the echidna male has four heads on their penis. So that oh, right. that's like some sort of like USB XYZ plug that I have never seen. <laughs> <laughs> Do we all want to come back as an echidna female? <laughs> <laughs> left. No, second from the left. <laughs> <laughs> higher, lower, lower, higher, higher, lower, left, 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 right, right, right. Oh my God, it's like... Like Nintendo, or like like the cheat code A A B B X up up down down. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Oh my god! Blue whale penises are obviously the largest in the animal kingdom. They can weigh up to nine hundred ninety pounds, and this is probably one case where bigger is not better. Like, <laughs> god! Like Yikes. if you were a female blue whale, like. The risk of drowning alone, I think, would be un- unfortunate. <laughs> they're they're not going extinct because of global warming. They're going extinct because <laughs> he's just too because big. The sex just drowns them. 
barnacles, teeny tiny little things that stick on boats and probably the rest yeah. of the blue whale, uh, they have penises that are eight times their body length. Dude. It is the largest <laughs> ratio of any animal known. Oh, wow. Right. Eight times, like little barnacle, giant yeah. phallus. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite. Alligators, best described in this National Geographic article, quote, oh, this is good. Here are the highlights. <clears throat> it's permanently erect. <laughs> it shoots out like toothpaste from a tube and it bounces back because it's basically a rubber band attached to it. <laughs> what? Why? I think it should be why not. Like, <laughs> boing. <laughs> like the sound effects alone in that Nat Geo video that they have to now make is. Oh, right. Boing, 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 boing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Cartoon noises. And oh, my, my last one, because like we did have to start recording flatworms. They engage in penis fencing. So these are hermaphroditic animals. And snails kind of do this too. But um, but flatworms, uh, because they're hermaphroditic, one has to be the male and one has to be the female. And because... And they flip for it. <laughs> they penis fence for it. They basically stab each other with their penises um, <sighs> because nobody wants to take care of the babies after they're born or be pregnant the resources that go into being the mom is way higher and they both know it. So it's almost like the American healthcare system. They both want to, uh. they both want to get their jollies off. They both want to pass on their genes, but nobody wants to be the mom. <laughs> like, oh my because God. Because it's a thankless That's fucking amazing. job. So yeah. That's amazing. So they penis fence for it and the winner gets to be dad, have sex, and then go out for cigarettes never to return again. So oh, God. those are flatworms. And that is my segment. <laughs> Knocked it out of the ballpark, sister, <laughs> with your tapir penis. So thanks to Varmints for that. <laughs> thanks, Paul, at Varmints. God, you're always there for us, man. Seriously, I was walking in the woods and I was listening and, and they have like a Patreon feed and I was listening to it. And that section on the Tapir body being a clown car for its massive penis. Like, I'm walking the dog in the woods and just busted up laughing to no one. Yeah. And, like, and I'm trying to text him and, of course, have no cell signal because I'm in the middle of the fucking woods. So when it finally went through when I got home, I was like, this is where I was when I heard this. And that is what inspired this entire episode. (laughs) Brilliant. That's my topic, yeah. Fantastic. Iceland 2023? Iceland 2023, baby. <laughs> Maybe we can record live from the Phallicological Museum. There's also a vaginal, uh, a vagina museum. I believe it's in Amsterdam. I could be completely wrong. Um, I feel like that would be a lot harder. Uh, they were saying that you basically need to have a whole torso to like kind of, because basically a vagina is negative space, right? So it's not right, like... Right. So you'd need to have a lot more tissue and the whole torso in order to make it truly able to be visualized. Whereas you can just have a dong anywhere. (laughs) And there's the title of our, (laughs) that's the title of our show. (laughs) You can just have a dong anywhere. You can just like take this thing anywhere. It's great. You can fit it in your purse. You can make a purse. Like you can just have it with you wherever you go. (laughs) Have it in your pocket. 
use it as a shoehorn. <laughs> a shoehorn. My, what uh, big socks you have. What big shoes you have. <laughs> Uh, my shoehorn's eight times my body length. <laughs> oh my god, a little barnacle trying to get on his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Sip, we're at the end of the podcast. Holy deadly hedgehogs, Batman. Our music is by Jason Shaw with additional music by Ableton Live. This week, our thanks go out to Nature, the AVMA, and the CDC websites. Also, IFL Science, RogerEbert.com, Ballas.is, <laughs> Animal Logic, Talk CA, and Farmants on the Tapir Extended Cut. I mean, Patreon feed. You can find more on our show notes or visit our website, TotallyPossumPod.com, and our Twitter at PossumPod. And now all that's left is shameless self-promotion. I'm a certified professional dog trainer in Southern Maine. I'm the author of Considerations for the City Dog and the host of Bewilderbeast, another podcast for curious folks. But unlike this one, you can listen with your children. You can find out more <laughs> about me at melissamcumagrath.com. Take it, Sip. I'm a house call veterinarian who loves to work with exotic pets in and around Oakland, California, the operator of Zuzu's Puddles Productions, and when I'm not treating... Chinese water dragons, Holland lop rabbits, and sulfur-crested cockatoos. You can find me driving around in my 2010 Honda CRV on my way to seeing another patient. You can find more about me and about exotic pet care at drsipvet.com. That's D-R-S-I-P-V-E-T.com. You can reach us both at totallypossumpod at gmail.com. And send us your topic ideas and questions. Send us bizarre and silly animal stories that are on the wild side. Please make it R-rated. <laughs> I'm it begging helps. you. <laughs> so that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hug your pets if you've got them. Unless your pet is an erect barnacle, just give them a minute. <laughs> and respect those opossums. Or as we say, stay possum. Stay possum. <laughs> <laughs> You said erect barnacle. (laughs) So good. You made me. I did. (laughs)